0: Welcome to the Shaping Champions podcast, a platform for discussion and exploration into what it takes to be a champion in life. We speak to athletes, entertainers, business people, and everyone in between about their journey and experiences, discovering the key ingredients needed to become successful at whatever it is you do. Please do subscribe to us at wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Shaping Champions Podcast. Enjoy the show. Our guest today is the CEO and co-founder of the world's largest and most successful football trials company, working with 300,000 players across the globe. They have over half a million followers now on social media. Um, Those players represent 150 countries worldwide. It gives me great pleasure to introduce to the show Harry Price. Good evening, Harry. How are you, sir? Good evening. Thank you for having me. I'm really well. Thank you. How are you guys? All good. All good. Really good. Thanks, bro. Excellent. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure and privilege. So we'll kick things off in the way that we usually do. Harry, we're really interested to know from you, what does it mean to be a champion? Okay, from my
1: perspective, I think being a champion... Really, is all relevant to your your scale, what you're trying to what you're trying to do, the level that you're playing at in terms of whether it's a global level, whether it be a local level, um, and and ultimately how far you wish to go in whatever discipline it may be. But I think ultimately, a, a champion in many disciplines has to be someone who is um, incredibly hardworking, really focused and driven by a particular outcome, somebody that's committed to the cause. Who's able to surround themselves with people of a similar mindset of success and um, wanting to be the best version of themselves. I think you mentioned that in the intro. I think that's a a great way of actually uh, discussing what a champion is. I think it's just always about being the best version of yourself to try and get as far as you possibly can in whatever discipline it may be. And I think that the term champion can be used across many different facets, whether it be... You're the champion mum or dad, whether you're the champion at a particular sport or business. Um, And within each of those areas of life, I think they're all as important as each other. So I just think, though, that to to be the best at something or to be a champion, there are certain traits that we see through um, many different successful people that always seem to be the same. So I'm sure some of those will will come up in this conversation.
2: Harry, we've never done this before. And Jimmy yeah. doesn't even know I'm going to ask this question. But yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to inverse it slightly only because of what you were saying. So I suddenly thought, sure. well, let me inverse this one. Obviously, you're you're CEO of the like of the the, the company, the CEO of. But what would you say when you when you when you work with super talented footballers, or you've seen super talented footballers who should have been champions? Mm-hmm. what were the biggest barriers that got in their way of being a champion? So you've kind of told us, and and it's only because of what you told us about being a champion. I thought, I wonder what's been the barriers that stopped the most talented being champions from your perspective? Yeah. From my
1: perspective, I think it is attitude. Mm. Um, I think it's the... It sounds really sort of cliched and quite obvious, but I do think that attitude plays such a massive part, attitude and character. And I think it's fascinating at the moment across the sports documentaries that have been coming out over the last few years, if you watch any of those. I think the one that really stands out perhaps in this scenario would be uh, the, the Arsenal All or Nothing, where we've seen... Arteta have a cultural shift within the Arsenal camp and from the outside looking in we were sort of wondering why he was getting rid of perhaps Aubameyang and then when you actually watch the documentary you see that a player like that wasn't a right cultural fit and I think that there's it was obviously down to something around attitude or conduct and behaviour and I think that what we see when we we work with young footballers is we do see so many players that have unbelievable talent they're just fantastic on the pitch they're natural they don't even look like they have to try but I think it's it's becoming more and more apparent now that because the demand within the football industry is so high to try and there's so many players that want to become professionals the clubs are now able to be far more selective about who they actually select in terms of who they take forward and quite simply attitude is now it's like a given if you haven't got a good attitude it's like that's kind of I don't care how good you are type of mentality because you know, these, the, the, the players that we see have got to go from our events or from you know, one of our one- day trials or our five day camps into a pro club and they're thrown into an environment where if they haven't got a good attitude, they're immediately going to be problems on buses, on away trips, on you know in hotels, if you're sharing a twin room, to you know team talks, to tactics to um, the way you present and represent your club. So I think if you haven't got a good attitude, then that can really kill things. And clubs are just cracking down on it more and more. And um, I think they're, they're working really hard on the psychology side of the game. But if you have got a bad attitude, that's probably the biggest factor that can let a lot of players
0: down. I mean, you mentioned a word there, Harry, culture. That, um, you know, gets sort of uh, thrown around a lot currently. Yeah in terms of people being cultural architects, and that's what you could definitely label Arteta as. Um, But if we're talking about perhaps someone who's um, an aspiring footballer, young, trying to come through the system, how do they develop a culture internally? What would you say the starting point is? For a football club to develop their culture,
1: do you mean? Or for a player to develop... Their own sort of so for a
0: plat. So, for a player who's on that journey of, of trying, yeah. you know, an aspiring footballer, um, you know, how do they sort of develop an internal culture?
1: I think it starts with how much they really want it. So, if you're if they're trying to be a professional player, it starts with discipline and their end goal in mind. So if, if there's someone that point blank says, all I want to do is, be- is to become a professional player. I think having that belief and having that end goal is, is critical first and foremost. Then I think it comes down to, at a young age, the players who have outstanding discipline. Because all the way from eight, nine years old, right the way through to 18, a lot of these players are having to go through school. So Monday to Friday for the majority of the year, you know, they're going to be at school, so they can't be working on their football. And I think it's those players that have got um, the ability to do things slightly differently, to follow their own path, to have the discipline to get up early before school. And I think one thing that stood out was we had a player who you may remember, I won't to mention his surname, but Hassan. Do you remember Hassan, Jimmy, who you would have worked with at one of our camps? Uh, you know, his story from six years old, he was waking up two hours before... He went to school and doing five hundred passes with his left and his right foot against a wall outside before he went to school every single day, and that he was having no fast food, no fizzy drinks, wasn't on Xboxes and Playstations, um, was you know researching in the evening the best players in the world. So really, it was just he immersed himself into football. He trained whenever he had any free time, and just had incredible discipline without being told he had to do it and I think if you've got that self discipline that self desire and drive to to succeed then I think that that starts you off on a really good uh, culture you know within yourself and within your your home environment so if you're in a place where that's possible then fantastic and I think that's a that's a good place to start.
2: Harry more and more footballers are and I'm, I'm I'm a teacher, right? So in my day job, I'm a teacher. And so I think over the last five to 10 years on the kind of cold face front line of education, you see more and more young boys and girls enter academies, yeah, right? And it's been fascinating to me to see how, I mean, I'm sure it's always been there, but it just seems like it's grown, right? Mm. And I'm talking about at the young, young ages where almost parents are at the danger of treating their children like they're professional footballers. I'm talking like from the age of six, from the age of five, talking about them doing rundles and going to this and trialling here and trialling there and kind of bringing it back to, again, the notion of champion. It's so important to have supportive parents. But when <laughs> when is when does supportive parent become Disruptive parent, or become, or become counterproductive parent in the natural champion arc of a young person, because it's starting younger now. It's it's not it's not something that you pick up at twelve anymore. If you see what I mean, or ten, or whatever it might be, it's literally starting from five and four. So I'm just really intrigued mm. about that. I think the parenting side
1: of it is not easy. I don't think anyone's got it completely nailed. <laughs> I think there's a very, very difficult and fine balance between a a parent being supportive and a person that's a parent that's trying to get the most out of their child. I've still got to go on that journey. Mine are still obviously very young, uh, similar to similar to Jimmy's situation. But I think the areas where you start getting into sticky ground, where it can be difficult for a child, from what we've experienced, is when the the parent is making the player doing against their will. So if they don't actually care that much about being a pro, I think it's really dangerous at a young age it should all be about fun in my opinion I may be right maybe wrong I think it should all be about fun five six seven eight years old you know you can't sign for a pro club until you're nine but they are getting the players in earlier and earlier and it needs to be fun it needs to be in all about enjoyment there's ways of teaching them the, the elements of the game that are important whilst making it fun and I think if you've got a parent that allows allows a player to do it as much as they enjoy it that's about as much as you can do but I think if you start then saying right son you've got to start getting up at five o'clock in the morning and doing that even if you don't want to and yeah you know, the, the parents sometimes are trying to live their dreams through their children and that's that can be a problem they're trying to they either see their child as a, a future pension pot with football being so financially lucrative or they see them as you know I think I want my son to be a footballer it sounds good at Social events, or it might make them look good at work, or whatever. So I think sometimes there can be a tendency to push their children too hard. But I think those those children that absolutely love it and thrive off it will will will, that will work. But if if a child doesn't want to do it and he can't really be bothered and just wants to play with his mates, I think you're onto a really bad uh, a really bad path (laughs) in, in, in in that sense.
0: Yeah, it's, it, it is, it's really interesting. I, I read some research recently around someone actually conducted a study into this across something like a decade. And the results were conclusive that basically the parents that are hyper-involved in their child's sporting journey, those children very, very rarely make it, regardless of how talented they are and how much potential they have. Mm. It's to be the ones who are at an arm's length, or who are just really encouraging and praise effort as opposed to results. Um, but I mean, just following on from that, you know, because what I find really fascinating is that you have this real broad range of starting points. So someone like Ti- Tiger Woods was swinging a golf club at two years old, and someone like Ian Wright didn't come into professional football until he was 22. And they both made it right to the top and they were both ultra successful. So I guess perhaps my question, Harry, to you is, um, you know, at what, at what stage do you see the process of shaping a champion being? You know, is it that sort of from five onwards or is it more, like you said, letting them enjoy themselves, perhaps starting to take it more seriously at nine, ten 10? I think, I think it completely varies. There's, there's a lot of
1: elements that obviously go into making a professional player and some of it will be genetic. Some of it will be the desire of the child to keep working hard and improving through their younger years. Some of it will be the environment and the opportunities that they're given. Some of it will be down to facilities, coaches and teachers and mentors. Um, you know, through their younger years as well. And those are prime sort of development years. They, they sort of talk about the fact that through up to the ages of sort of 11 and 12, that's all the, the sort of development of the technical side of it. And then as you get slightly older, then things move into the, the physical side of the game. And obviously at puberty, different players grow at different heights and sizes and, and different rates. And then obviously as you get a little bit older, there's other distractions that come into play, things like going out and, you know, meeting up with people and, and all, all sorts of distractions off the pitch, start getting involved. And you've got the academic side of it as well. And sometimes, you know, that, that can be pushed on you also. I, I think that the the ultimate thing with football is that if you are good enough, you're going to make it at some stage, like whether that be at five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, whether it be 14 or 15, whether it be 16 or 17. If you're someone that is, that is good enough at football and you put yourself in a place where you can be seen by people that could change your life, then I think you're going to get opportunities. Our oldest player is 24. uh, That's that that never had an opportunity came to one of our events and then signed for a semi-pro team um, at sort of step five level. So this, this lad's been trying for years and years and years and years just said he's never had a chance to play in front of scouts came to one of our events at 24 years old, he got his first break um so everyone's journey is different i think that that's for sport but i think for business and everything else you can keep shape shaping yourself and keep becoming a champion right the way through to um right the way through to your dying days so the founder of the kfc started at 70 wasn't it i think that was right i believe that's true um so for, for sport if if you're good enough if you can put in the performances it doesn't really matter what age you make it but there are certain fundamentals that if you're going to make it at a younger age, particularly at the highest level, then I think uh, that there has to be some some firm building blocks put in place at an early age, and that has to be built on and picked up by certain people to develop
2: over time. I heard you mention semi-pro football, um, mm. which was perfect. Um, <clears throat> I support Bromley Football Club, who, te- well, they're now a pro football team. But once upon a time, we were semi-pro for in- literally as recently as six, seven years ago. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned semi-pro, so and immediately that caught my my ears, and I was like, right. Within the football industry, do you feel that we there is still a mental barrier to what is deemed success, or what is deemed making it? right? And I say that in the context of semi-pro in so much as I see it at the National League level where I predominantly watch most of my football that you will have players who think that that level of football is beneath them for whatever particular reason. Like mm-hmm. you, you haven't made it if you're playing in the National League. You haven't made it if you're playing in the the uh, step three or step two or, or whatever it might be. And the reluctance to see that as a starting point to work your way up, and I'm just intrigued if you've kind of come across that in terms of, I guess in terms of mentality and attitude to starting at the bottom doesn't actually mean starting at the bottom is just the next step. But just unpick that for me if you can.
1: I completely agree with you, and you're absolutely right. It is, it's a big, big problem. Uh. on our our website we have a success story page and there's sometimes general comments made that it's not worth coming to some of our events because uh, there's no opportunities for seniors and the reason for that is because we have very few senior players who want to be put on our social media channels as signing for semi-professional teams because they're worried about what the comments are going to be from their friends, from their families, and what the general public are going to say about it. And typically, when we do post about a senior player signing for a club that is a step two, three, four, five level, uh, the comments are you know who are they, you know rubbish team that, are, and it's pretty derogatory. And what these people fail to understand is that you know you have to start somewhere. And our message to players is that if you are willing to be in a position where you're humble enough to drop down one or two levels so that you're playing 40, 30 to 40 games a season. And then there's absolutely no way that if you are someone who scores goals, creates goals or stops goals, and you're someone that's putting in 20 or 30 goals a season, keeping clean sheets, and you're prepared to put that work in and prove yourself over two or three seasons, all of the, all of the teams above are going to be having a look at you and they will for sure drag you up. And and we know uh, two players that have gone from a, a step um, six team to a Premier League side uh, that, you know, and, and these journeys are getting um, documented more and more. It's becoming more common because the, the semi-professional game is a fantastic place to start. It really is a great place to play. You know, the players are battle hard and they're playing on pitches that uh, sometimes waterlogged. They're not the, not the flattest uh, the facilities aren't the greatest. You know, the players have to drive there or share lifts. They have to train after work sometimes around shifts. They don't get paid as well. The fans can be hostile. You know, you really do shape a, a really tough, resilient player. And if someone's prepared to prove themselves at that level, then they will get moved up. And there does need to be a mind shift Um away from it being a sort of rubbish level or not a very good successful level to be in, because even at, you know, some lower steps, you still get paid incredibly well. You can still make a good income. It can still support your your work. It's still well supported by big crowds. It's great fun to play in those levels as well. And, um, you know, some people do it around full-time jobs. And if you're good enough, you're going to move up because you're cheaper than, than paying millions of pounds. Uh, there's lots of stories of you know playing clubs you know, twelve thousand pounds and a bag of balls you know for for players that happens in these sorts of leagues and that's why football's so great it's a you know it's a, it's a community game so for sure that that mentality has to change the opportunities are there and it's it's becoming more and more common that the players are moving up through the ranks.
0: I love the honorary mention for the the colonel in uh the the answer before that one actually I just have to mention that you know colonel sanders i think it was and you yeah i think he was rejected by like 250 different restaurants or something his recipe was before he it, it's not yeah it's not but it. um <laughs> but yeah anyway sorry sidetrack but coming, coming back to what you just said um you know the reality of it is that 0.5 percent isn't it of of players that come through academies actually even make a career out of football. So anybody trying to downplay the semi-professional game, it just absolutely makes no sense. If you love football, if that's your passion, why would you not want to do it and get paid a little bit of money to do it as well? It just, you know, it completely baffles me. Um, But just picking up there on sort of, because the theme of this conversation is is sort of centered around um, a role that you guys heavily play in the footballing system which is identifying talent essentially and we also wanted to touch on kind of nurturing and developing that talent as well which i think we have in some way so far but um in terms of identifying what 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 are the qualities that you see in people that are really good at doing that you know the people that you work alongside come into contact with um in your network you know the people that work for professional clubs or otherwise scouts um, you know coaches that bring people through the system what, what are the real qualities that you see in those people
1: there's a there's a huge mix there's really really good ones and really really bad ones <laughs> i'll say that and be honest um same as any industry the the ones that are particularly effective the ones that do a really good job there's 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 two sides to it i think a lot of people, even without any scout training or qualifications, could probably go to a football pitch and say, that's the best player. The, the ones that I find fascinating, that I love speaking to, I love learning from over the last you know 11 years, getting into these people's heads, are the ones that stand quietly by themselves, don't stand in a crowd or listen to the noise around them. They just focus in on, on what they're watching, watching the players, and they're able to see just one or two qualities which are unique about a player on the pitch that go, Do you know what, if we took that, that would fit perfectly into our system, whether it be a cultural system with the attitude of a player. It might be um, the fact that he's just a brilliant leader and in that particular age group at the club, they need that person to be loud and confident. So it could be anything from the skill and ability of a player right the way through to the, uh, the attitude, confidence or leadership qualities of a player and the, the best scouts that we find are ones that don't listen to the opinions of others. They're very much, um, they trust their gut, they trust what they're seeing in front of them, and they take their job incredibly seriously as well. I think it's getting to the point where players are worth so much money, even at a young age now, you know, million-pound 12-year-old players, uh, that there's, there's no real... Um, it's just not really acceptable to miss local talent in your area if you're a scout for that club. Uh, there's there's this huge competition in almost all of the big cities from many many different clubs. So these these guys are able to pick out those players that show one or two qualities. Um, don't listen to the noise and just pick the simply the best player. They're, they're able to see the ones that they could nurture and look after that talent, which um, is. Uh, it's fascinating when you see it and you ask, okay, you've picked that player. What was it about them? And then they dig into it. And it was like, I just like the way he tracked back when the team were five nil down in the game. And we did have a boy who was on a team that was losing eight or nine nil. It was up in, it was up in Leeds and I was at an event there. And there was a boy who was, he was 12 years old and his team were losing about eight nil. And in the last minute of the game, he ran the entire length of the pitch track back got the ball off a player with like an amazing slide and tackle and then ran the entire length of the pitch and scored at the other end. And the scout just said, I just want to see that bang. And that lad ended up signing for a club and, and uh, he hadn't done much the whole trial, but he just said, I just want that kind of mentality and that person in my team. And he stayed right to the end to watch it. Some of the scouts, you know, were sort of thinking that's the end of the game. And he just waited and saw that moment of magic. And it was that, 30 seconds of play that got that player, you know, a life-changing opportunity.
0: Yeah, really interesting. And do you see that very often? Um, players who perhaps aren't like silky or have an amazing range of passing or stuff like that, but they just have some, you know, some, some sort of quality in terms of drive, desire, hunger, um, their, like, mentality...
1: Yeah, the, the best scouts don't see the negatives in the players. They see the positives and they kind of think, well, okay, he's gonna be a bit raw. He's not gonna have he's not gonna be the finished product in this area because he hasn't been coached or it's clearly he hasn't been taught that. And they can see through the qualities that the players don't have and they can focus in on the qualities that they do and it, it is it is a common thing they can look at a player who's clearly just had a growth spot a growth spurt who's running like a baby giraffe you know got no coordination and they can say you know but I can see that in a couple of weeks if we just get him with our essence with our S&C team he'll be back to running really really well I can see that this lad's going to be an athlete He's, he's he's got what we want, and so they they can look past the negative qualities and focus in and um, see the the potential in a player, and 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 that that's what the best ones do. Because if if everyone was just a finished product, then there's you know there's nothing for the academy coaches to work on.
0: I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Shaping Champions podcast. Thank you again for listening. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Shaping Champions podcast. Please do subscribe to us at wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you'd like to discuss anything with us, make any suggestions or offer up any guests that you'd like us to interview, please do contact us on any of our social channels or email us on shapingchampions@outlook.com. Enjoy the rest of the show. Is football like the perfect example of an opinions-based industry, though, H? Because, you know, look at someone like Eze, who was at Arsenal, was at Fulham, was released from all of these different academies, QPR, I think, as well, and then picked up eventually, and he's now an England international, you know. So how much of that do you see as well? Someone going, no, I think that's, he's just not ever going to have a chance. And someone going, oh, actually, I, I think he's got something.
1: It said a lot. It's really difficult. <laughs> it's so hard because you, you I mean, it's, you never know exactly how a player is going to turn out and you never know what situational circumstances have led to some players getting overlooked. It could have been a, a discipline thing. It could have been an attitudinal thing. There could have been a few clear cut. I'm sorry. I don't care how good a player is. He can't stay that type of thing. But um, yeah, I, with with, with Eze, you know that was a fascinating story. There's lots and lots of players though where that's happened, and there's that classic photo of um, of Kane and uh, I think it's is it Kane Drinkwater and uh, Vardy all sitting on the bench um, in in the championship, all sort of sitting there, and they're all players that have had their ups and downs and been released and everything else. So I don't think anyone quite ever knows how far a player is going to go, but um, yeah, we there are certainly players that do get
2: overlooked, yeah, that shouldn't do. Harry, I'm in, I'm intrigued by the trials process <clears throat> because, unless I'm mistaken, with the trials you effectively have eleven different individuals who may maybe they've played with one or one or two of them before, but may have not played with any of them, right? Um, in the in the team concept, and I mean I've seen a few trials in my time, and I guess I'm trying to hone down. It's kind of following on from Jimmy's question about what a identifying talent but I'm more so focusing on the mentality a player needs to stand out in that environment without trying to do an individual make it all about themselves etc etc I'm just how do you stand out when you're playing with 10 random people who you don't know their style of play um and you can't just well, you could, you could try and be messy, but how, how, how do you stand out in that context? To What do you notice about the players who do stand out and what do they do to stand out per se that isn't purely individual ability? Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's really tough.
1: The reason, it's actually the reason why we do a training session before the matches. So our actual trial format is to do a training session for an hour and 40 minutes so that the scouts and the coaches can actually see the players, see what they're like in drills. And we can get to assess them on things like passing, shooting, dribbling, um, you know, attacking play, defensive play. Uh, we, we can look at many different facets and, and see how they would uh, fit into a club in a, in a drills or skills-based session. So we do that first. And then when it gets to the games, it is such a hard balance to strike between showing off what you can do and making good decisions and not hogging the ball and all else. So, the the scouts want to see the players express themselves but also show that they make the right decisions at the right time more often than not. And another key one which which um, is, is more more of a problem for the seniors, I think, is being too cool to sweat. So, <laughs> the scouts want to see the players working incredibly hard off the ball. So, in our trial events, we're not doing 90 minutes, we're doing two 15 minute games and they get a bit of time to sort of have a bit of a break and everything else. So after an hour and 30 minutes of intensive training, that's still, you know, quite tough on them. So the the scouts were effectively looking for the players who show uh, great communication skills and great leadership skills on the pitch and are able to galvanize or shape or um, talk to a team that they've never met before. That shows amazing confidence because they've got to be able to do that going from our trial into a, into another group of players they've never met before at a club. Uh, They have great decision-making, great tactical awareness, great technical ability for their position. And there's some fundamentals that have to be in place. Obviously things like first touch, uh, passing ability, um, understanding playing in different, in different formations, playing in different uh, positions as well as is, is a key factor. And, the right attitude, in terms as I've already talked about, and in a trial environment, you can have a striker playing at left back and they'll still be able to stand out, um, if if, if they're at the required level. So, um, it, it it sounds difficult and it is difficult, it's a high pressure environment. Sometimes people get it right, sometimes people get it wrong. I'm sure we've missed players, um, as Jimmy said, it, it is the most opinion-based game ever. You could have a guy score a hat-trick and people still put on social media that someone's rubbish Um, (laughs) in in some ways. So yeah, at a a trial though, uh, the best players do stand out a mile and it's really due to a whole range of factors, but we get to see that through the training sessions and the matches.
2: I'm glad you referenced high-pressure environment. Mm. And this, again, this is following on from something Jimmy said about using SA as an example what is the thing that you think the football industry is missing in shaping, Or sorry, first in identifying better talent or more talent, and then sh- more importantly, shaping that talent. So like if you had a magic wand and you could fix or change one thing about the industry in terms of its development of talent, where would you wave the wand first, so to speak? I would wave the wand at
1: the human element of clubs' understanding just how important it is to players and parents about how they feel when they go into a trial or football club environment, which may sound totally off and against It's nothing to do with anything on the pitch, but the number of times players have signed with one club, not another, or left one club to go to another because of the way the club makes them feel it is, is staggering. And that happens from the second someone arrives at a football club for a trial, right the way through to the way that they're communicated with via email and by, by phone calls, right the way through to um, the feedback that the parents are given at the end of sessions, right the way through to the way they're told whether they've made it or not. Um, I think that the football industry really needs to um, have training for all of these sort of academy sort of coaches and staff to help them understand that some are very, very good, some aren't so good, again. (laughs) But I I think that a lot of players just go go to some professional clubs and don't really have great experience because of the human qualities that some of the staff at these football clubs show the players and parents and like I say we've 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 seen some pretty or heard some pretty bad things we've seen some great things we've heard some pretty bad things but um, I, I think that's critical and it may surprise you that that's the case but you know the way a player feels when going to a football club can be the decision about whether they sign for them or not and whether they want to stay there.
0: It definitely feels like it's incredibly overdue, doesn't it? Um, somebody kind of looking at that area and saying, we really need to step up and we need to do better. And it feels like it's starting to slowly drip through with the whole uh, invention of the player care system. And we, we interviewed a professional in that world called Abby Carrington, who's um, head of player care at Swansea and has just recently moved to Manchester United. And um, the way she spoke about it, you know, it showed that there are people out there who are really passionate and 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 who care. Like you said, Harry, there's, there, there are always going to be some who are good at it, some who aren't. Um, and leading into my next question, it, it sort of makes me think about how much sport has had to recognise that sports people are human beings. In recent years, you know, all of the mental health struggles that have become known ben stokes naomi osaka you know the list goes on and on i mean someone like clark carlisle trying to take his own life you know it's it's absolutely crazy um and we we hear a lot sort of from the outside as i've just mentioned about how it's perhaps becoming more of an emotionally safe space in, in football as well as other sports um sports psychologists at clubs and that kind of thing. I mean, what does it look like to you, Harry, from, from an internal perspective? Do you see it getting better?
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Compared to when we, compared to when we started 11 years ago versus now, uh, we went and visited an academy of, um, of a top Premier League club. And I think they've got five uh, psychologists working in the academy, which is just staggering. I mean, (laughs) that certainly wasn't there 10 years ago. (laughs) Um, And, I think young people nowadays have just got it so much harder than when perhaps we were younger, uh, with regards to the uh with social media. I think it's got a lot to answer for in this in 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 this regard. Um the, the 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 mental health of the players, you've seen it. There's there's even documentaries from uh you know the the retired players. It was something staggering that was written in the Times that some whether this is correct or not, it was something like 30% of the players that are retired within five years are sort of bankrupt and, you know, 80% of them are divorced. Um, you know, there was a, I can't remember what percentage it was that, you know, would go into sort of um, drinking and gambling and things. And I think there's, it's, it's obviously there's, there's documentaries been made on the BBC about it, about player welfare post, uh, post a professional game when they retire. And I think there needs to be a lot more done the PFA. I think are working hard on that the FA I'm sure are working very hard on it. So there's a lot of people behind the scenes, a lot of, um, high caliber ex pros are obviously bringing it up, raising the topics. And I think it's getting talked about a lot more, but, um, certainly within the academies, I think a lot of it's going to be based around uh, player protection with social media, because I just think it can be a cruel place for, for young players. Um, they, anyone can send anyone a message that can really have some, some damaging impacts on them. And, um, you know, I, I really don't like that side of social media. I think it's got some great positives, but if it's used in the wrong way uh, for, for young athletes in particular who can be targets of people jealous or they're particularly good or they're fragile or going through a tough time, um, the, the online trolling for young people something that we never had to go through. Um, and uh, I think that needs to be really, really looked at hard and and, and we need to look after these youngsters with uh, with, with social media protection for sure.
0: And, uh, do, do you buy into this whole kind of, it's just the generation that they're snowflakes or that they need, they're emotionally weak or, you know, because as we both know, Harry, we've been around ex-professionals. I've read lots of autobiographies, listened to lots of interviews and the dressing room culture in that era was like really hard. It was so tough. And you wouldn't have lasted a minute if you were a sensitive soul in that environment, you know? So do you think that that actually has any benefit to it, you know, that kind of tough culture, or do you think that, um, that you know, we do need sport to become more emotionally aware and sensitive?
1: I think those, those are- the sort of older older generation of footballers were a different breed in terms of what was accepted back then. Everything from the way the world was to you know um, there was no mobile phones at the time, so players could certainly get away with much more off the pitch as well. Um, but I think again, there wasn't the welfare stuff put in place back then, was there, with <laughs> regards to player uh, you know to, to player welfare and the way that players were treated. Some think it some think think in some ways it's gone too far the other way. some people say it still needs to go further i I do think it's hard for us to know what youngsters are going through because we aren't young minds going through social media abuse i think um, I think the the new generation I don't think it is sort of like a snowflake issue. I just think that there perhaps isn't uh, the, the the stories of the stories and the struggles that. The older generation have been through, perhaps, are documented enough for younger people to understand that it's not always been easy. It's they've each generation's had its troubles, has had its difficulties, has had its challenges, and as you say, the dressing rooms were extremely tough. The the fans were extremely difficult um, back in those in those years as well. Uh, But I I do think there needs to be a a degree of empathy for for young people that go through the 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 new. the, the sort of new wave of abuse which seems to be coming through social media so yeah how we address that that's up for experts to to, to
2: sort out for sure harry i alluded to earlier on parents and i'm not talking about parents anymore but they are actually when i ask you that when i ask you this you'll understand why i've mentioned them again so let's say now someone's come and i know you're dealing with it at the trial level but i'm sure you've kept in touch with people who have kind of gone on to be successful and some what successful is relative, But you know, what I mean, uh, gone on to, to make a success at whatever level. But I want to just briefly touch on agents and their role in, because they have a key role, um, in the shaping of champions. Um, but I just, I wonder what your stance is. I'm, I'm sure you're going to say there's some good, there's some bad, but I wonder, I wonder what your stance is on the how important is that agent's role in the individual being able to be a champion? Or I guess maybe what I'm saying to you is, do they need an agent? Is it a benefit? or is it a detriment, irrespective of if that agent's part of your family or if that agent is whatever, because the the role that I play within football and the proximity I have to it, I sometimes see agents and think you are more of a detriment to that player's progression than a benefit. Now, I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I'm just intrigued to know where you stand on it in terms of the support role of key stakeholders around somebody's rise through the ranks?
1: That's a tough question. It is definitely, there are some good ones and some bad ones. I was fortunate enough. I spent uh, some time with the owner of one of the largest sports agencies in the world. So I had a good, quite a few good chats with him about it um, and about their role within multi different, different sports outside of just football. And a good agent is worth their weight in gold i think that's the, the key thing there are a handful of a, a handful of agencies that handle the vast majority of the biggest players in football and their role ultimately to secure the best contracts to make sure that players aren't getting you know shafted out of certain things to make sure they're getting well paid for what they do uh, the good agents, you know, will sort out things like housing, will sort out when they relocate, sort out things for their children, sort out schooling, cars, all of that type of stuff. They have a huge role to play. So they literally will be almost like a PA for the player and the family and a great support network for them, particularly if they're coming from different cultural countries and, and, and different backgrounds and moving to a whole new area. The adjustment moving to England is it can't it isn't always easy. So a good agent a good agency will certainly do that for players and really really help and support i think the area where you can turn it the other way is that we are seeing more and more scam agents popping up all over the place agents that are there just to take advantage of players uh, there's a situation at the moment where fake agents are charging players huge sums of money promising them all sorts of trials and opportunities and actually they don't have the network they don't have this opportunity for them at all there's the situations where we've got players from uh, african nations in particular who are believing letters that are being sent to them from scam agents saying you know they've got a trial with a top premier league club pay five thousand dollars and that will cover your flights and accommodation and everything else and these lads are paying it and this, sometimes this is families' life savings and we've you know reported all of these and there's just no way that, for us to stop it um so there is that ugly side of it. I think you need to be really careful who your agent is because there has been a few occasions and a few players, some are documented, some aren't, where um, the FA changed the position on who could become agents. It used to be a huge exam that was pages and pages and pages and you know, it took a year or two to revise and to study to become one. And it actually became a situation where you could just pay a sum of money and become an agent. So you had parents becoming agents you had random people quitting their jobs to become agents everyone suddenly assumed that they could be agents and actually you just ended up with them having no idea no training going in and demanding ridiculous things from clubs and actually it causing chaos for the players uh, careers because the clubs were like who on earth do you think you are and we we actually know one that did happen at, at a league two club where a the person who was completely untrained as an agent went in, made stupid demands, the club were being completely reasonable. And the agent basically just said, no, 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 pulled that out. And that player never ended up actually going anywhere um, to, to a club. And I'm sure there's hundreds of examples of this happening. So you do need to be careful. Agents are important to, to securing yourself a good deal, particularly if you've never had a contract negotiation before. But my goodness me, you need to make sure you do the checks on who you're dealing with. Uh, because it really can have a detrimental effect or it could change your life in a positive way. I hope that's like a politically correct, kind of accurate, both sides of the coin there.
0: <laughs> Handled it like a politician, mate, that one.
1: There we go. it was <laughs> uh,
0: absolutely super <laughs> tough one there. <laughs> but no, I think I think you're right. Do, do your due diligence is the message 80%. to come out of that one, I think, for sure. Yeah. Um, we're going we're gonna to sort of start wrapping up things now. I mean, it's been such a fascinating conversation, Harry. I'd, I'd just like to come back to, we mentioned earlier that 0.5% of players that come through academies even make a career out of football. Players that get to Premier League level from academies, 0.012%. Um, you know, and we can't change that. There's nothing we can do about that. That's the game. It's a numbers game. You know, we're all aware of it. But what would your sort of one golden piece of advice be to any young aspiring footballer that might be looking at trying to work their way through that system?
1: I'd say there's no shortcut to hard work, to to putting in the hours with anything, any career whether it be football or anything in life if you want to reach the highest level I believe the Premier League is the highest level in the world for for football in terms of the league if you want to reach the the highest league in the world then you're going to have to put in thousands and thousands and thousands thousands of hours of gruelling hard work when no one's watching no one is saying well done Um, you have to absolutely love it to do that because you know you're not going to put in the hours needed if you don't enjoy the game I think if you have a massive love for it if you're prepared to work hard, understand that you never ever know who's watching you in anything that you do. It's not just football, but you never know who's watching you. You know, do whatever you're you're great at or whatever you enjoy. So always, always, um, just have that in the back of your mind about conducting yourself professionally. Um, and you never, yeah, like I say, you never know who's watching. So as long as you keep putting yourself out there and putting yourself in, in positions where there could be somebody watching that could change your life whether it be a park pitch. Um, I know someone that got scouted from walking their dog through a park pitch and they saw a player who ended up going into a huge Manchester club. Uh, we know a scout who found someone on a beach in Portugal, age 15, who was kicking a ball around the beach with his dad and that like got an under 15s contract. So wherever you've got a ball at your feet, someone could be watching you that could change your life. And I just think put the hours in, work hard, conduct yourself properly, uh, have a great attitude, be a good human being and you never know how far you can get. I used to say that that 0.012% can't be you. It's got to be someone. Um, and if you're good enough and if you love it, got the, got the right character, discipline, hard work, you never know how far you can go. And if you don't reach the Premier League, you've probably by the age of 18, if you put the hours in, got incredible habits and discipline skills to take you far in anything that you choose to do, whether it be any sport, business or whatever. So, um those sort of disciplines that you'd get from trying to reach the Premier League will certainly stand you in good stead for anything that you choose to do in life.
0: I love that as a final message. Absolutely wonderful. And Harry, you know, I can safely say that I'm sure there are a lot of people that have been in your industry and have done a really poor job, have done some really bad work, um, you know, have scammed people, uh, have taken shortcuts, have cut corners, and having been a part of some of the work that you've done i can hand on heart say that you know you guys are doing it with integrity because you care doing it in the right way and you know you're there's a reason why you're uh, rated excellent on Trustpilot, and you know some of the well the majority of the views you have are you know outstanding so keep up the good work mate and um you know, thanks ever so much for coming on. Where can people find out about more what you do, Harry? When I introduced you in the intro, I didn't even say UK Football Trials. But
1: Oh yeah, that's not right. Yes, yeah. right. so, so yeah, so UKFootballTrials.com is the website. Um, got one day trials, five day camps uh, operating in the UK. And um, yeah, those are our two main services. So UKFootballTrials.com and then all our social media channels uh, are all exactly the same off that. So uh, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Snapchat. I don't know how half of them work, but we are on those. Our social media chat looks after that. And uh, yeah, have a look at our success stories, our events all coming up every half term and every school holiday. So if you'd like to come along, then yeah,
2: let us
0: know. Fantastic. Mash, any parting words?
2: Suffice to say that um, after Harry's inspirational words, I will be putting myself forward because Harry told me it's never too late so, well, I know I've got the dedication and hard work necessary. So I will be signing up, and let's see where I can take my career on the that's, field. As well,
1: that's awesome. If you drop us a CV in advance as well, I'll uh, I'll I'll send it over to the clubs so um they can look out for you. What position you're going to be playing? That's the key question I want to know. Is it?
2: Well, you know what? As I've as I, as I've advanced in years, I've moved back, I've, I've moved back and back down further in the pitch. So, one of the fullback positions, but not one of those uh, marauding wing backs. Just an auxiliary fallback. <laughs> amazing.
1: Well, I look forward to seeing you there. Then that's going to be great. Fantastic. We'll have to. Might have to stretch our upper age limit to to fit you in, but uh, I'm sure we can do that. And uh, you never know, there could be a Premier League club looking for someone just like you in the in the back four. So. Um, Fingers crossed. Look forward to seeing you there. Thank you very much for having me anyway. It's been great to to chat to you both.
2: Absolute pleasure. Cool.
0: Yeah, thanks ever so much for coming on, Harry. And that's it for another episode of Shaping Champions. Please do subscribe to us at wherever you get your podcasts or if you're watching us on YouTube. And We look forward to seeing you next time.